right back at the back door. Miss Michaela's got her hand in the air. If you're visiting with us this morning, glad that you're here. We just got finished with a six-month study through Galatians. That's usually our practice is to go straight through books of the Bible, verse by verse, section by section. Uh, for the next several weeks, we're going to be preparing ourselves as we get ready to enter into the new building and all that. And um, Two weeks from today, on September 10th, is supposed to be our first service in the new sanctuary. And I hope that we, I hope we make it. <laughs> you never know. I, I, I've said we're going to be in this date, and then we've found out, no, we're not. So we're, we're, that's what we're shooting for. Uh, on that date, September 10th, there's only going to be one service. We're going to be there at 10 a.m., uh, and we're going, to, uh, we're going to rejoice. We're going to sing a lot. We're going to have several baptisms. We're going to do the Lord's Supper, partake in the Lord's Supper. And it's just going to be a time of celebration and of uh, glory to God for allowing us to have this. The building is just a tool. It's not who we are. It's just a tool to make disciples for his glory. And so we, we praise him for that. Um, beginning on that Sunday, we're going to take a month or so, and we're going to remind ourselves of who we are here at First Baptist Church. We're going to remind ourselves of our mission to make disciples of Jesus and to grow as disciples of Jesus and outline our, our vision for doing that, worship, connect, and serve. You may have, you probably have it now, but before all this construction started, you saw that on the wall. It's been a good five years before we laid out what that looks like and why we do that, worship, connect, serve, and what that means and where we get it from in Acts chapter 2 and uh, the reality of how we grow in Christ through worshiping, through connecting and discipling relationships, through serving Him, serving Him through uh, His church, serving Him to the world, evangelizing for His name. Um, all of that is what we're going to do for the month of September. And then we're going to launch into a systematic study of the book of Hebrews, which is going to take quite some time. Uh, and we will be back to verse-by-verse -verse exposition. So that's what's coming. <clears throat> Today, though... I want to prepare the way for us as we begin talking about how we grow as disciples of Jesus, how we grow in holiness, grow in godliness, what we call sanctification, how we walk in this way. And I want to clarify a few things coming out of the book of Galatians. We spent six months in that book, and the message of Galatians was simply that the gospel alone is our righteousness before God. We need nothing other than the gospel. By grace, through faith in Jesus Christ, we have been born again. We are righteous before God by his judgment. According to his law, we stand righteous not because of our own works or because of our own stuff, but because of Jesus Christ and the work that he completed in his death, burial, resurrection. That's the message of the book. And Paul also told us in the book of Galatians that as Christians now, as those who've been born again, Really, our task is simply to walk in what we've been given by, he said in Galatians, keeping in step with the Spirit, walking in the Spirit of God, depending on the gospel alone. But in Galatians, if you were here for all of those sermons in Galatians 5, he also told us that you will reap what you sow. He said that we're to sow to the Spirit and not to the flesh. In fact, Paul even went so far as to say in Galatians 5, if we sow to the flesh, we will reap destruction. And we talked about that as we went through that. So when we talk about growing in Christ, walking in the Spirit, walking in holiness, growing in our relationship with God, when we talk about those things, 
Which is it? Is it God's work in us and his doing his will through us? Or is it our work and our sowing to the spirit and the things that we do? Well, the answer to that question is both. There is an interplay between the spirit producing fruit in us And at the same time, we're sowing to the Spirit, yielding ourselves in dependence upon the Spirit. It's really encapsulated perfectly in Philippians chapter 2 where Paul says, exercise your salvation. He says, most translations will say, work out your salvation. And a lot of times when we read that, we think it means make sure that you're saved. But that's not what Paul's saying in context. He's saying, exercise your salvation. He's talking about obedience. Exercise your salvation because it's God who is working in you to will and to do according to his good pleasure. Growing as a disciple of Jesus is both God's work in us and our striving as we sow to the Spirit in holiness. Now, those two things, God's work in us and our work in growing, they, they really get easily confused in our lives and as we try to live this out. Our tendency is to think in terms of either or. When it comes to growing in Christ, we're not talking about being saved, we're not talking about being righteous before God, we're not talking about our standing before God. When it comes to growing in Christ, walking in holiness, walk following Jesus, growing in our relationship with God, we tend to think it's either I do it all by myself, I'm striving, I'm toiling, and it all depends on me, or we think I don't have to do anything. I just lay back and let God do whatever it is that he wants to do. Neither of those things is true. Neither of those things is what growing as a disciple of Jesus looks like. Now, once again, before we launch off into this, make sure that you do not mix up the categories. We're not talking about how we're made righteous before God. You should know that after coming out of Galatians. When it comes to being justified, declared righteous, saved, born again, made right with God, that is all his work. It's all by grace through faith in the gospel. There's nothing that you can do that adds to it or takes away from it. We don't strive to be right with God or accepted by God. We rest fully and completely in the finished work of Jesus Christ. But when it comes to growing in Christ, maturing in Christ, becoming more like Christ in our minds, in our hearts, in our actions, in our daily lives, we call that sanctification. It's a big theological word, and it means just growing in holiness. That depends upon the power of the Holy Spirit, but it also requires effort on our part. So with that clarification in mind, I want to share a section of 1 Timothy that has been really formative in my own life when it comes to growing in Christ. I've preached this text here before, but it's been many years since we've done so. Paul, in in 1 Timothy, letter to Timothy, is writing to Timothy, who is shepherding churches around Ephesus. He's instructing Timothy through this letter in what Timothy is to do, to build up the church, to minister to the church, to properly shepherd them and pastor them. And he's telling Timothy what a local church looks like and what the ministry of the church looks like and how it's organized and all of those things. But what strikes me about this letter is that as Paul instructs Timothy in building up the church and the ministry that he's called to, he continually focuses Timothy's attention on keeping watch over his own life, his own godliness, his own growth. And in chapter 4, which is what we're going to look at today, 
first thing Paul does in verses 1 through 5 is warn Timothy about false teachers and who follow other spirits and add laws to the gospel. Let's read verses 1 through 5 first, just so you have it in your mind. We're going to focus on 6 through 10. He says, now, in, in, now the Spirit expressly says that in later times some will depart the faith by devoting themselves to deceitful spirits and teachings of demons through the insincerity of liars whose consciences are seared, who forbid marriage and require abstinence from foods that God created to be received with thanksgiving by those who believe and know the truth. For everything created by God is good and nothing is to be rejected if it is received with thanksgiving, for it is made holy by the word of God and prayer." And then he begins verse 6, which is going to be our text for today that we're going to take apart, by saying, if you put these things, and that's why I read 1 through 5, those are the things he's talking about. If you put these things, warning about these things before the brothers, you will be a good servant of Christ Jesus, being trained in the words of the faith and the good doctrine that you have followed, have nothing to do with irreverent, silly myths, rather train yourself for godliness." For while bodily training is of some value, godliness is of value in every way as it holds promise for the present life and also for the life to come. The saying is trustworthy and deserving of full acceptance, the saying he just said. For to this end we toil and strive because we have our hope set on the living God who is the Savior of all people, especially those who believe. Let's pray together. Father, we do love you and we thank you for your word. We thank you for who you are and for all that you've given us in the gospel. God, I pray that you would just help me be clear today. Help us be clear and let's, let's help us to see rightly what you have placed in your word, God. We don't want to say anything other than what your scripture has said. We pray that your spirit would come and that you would help illuminate this to our hearts and that you would show us what you would have us to know and who you'd have us to be through this. Lord, we thank you. We love you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So Paul tells Timothy... You'll be a good servant of Jesus if you put these things before the brothers, if you warn them about those that are teaching silly myths and, and doctrines of demons and abstaining from marriage and foods and all those kind of things. And then he says, you'll be a good servant if you put these things. And then he gives three descriptions, really, of what this good servant of Jesus Christ looks like. And the first one is simply to be nourished in the Word, being nourished in the Word. He said, if you put these things before the brothers, you will be a good servant of Jesus Christ, Christ Jesus, being trained in the words of the faith and of the good doctrine that you have followed. Now, the ESV uses the word train here, but it's better translated nourish. If you have any other, just about any other English translation in your lap, it's going to say nourished right there. It's not going to say train. And notice the present tense. He, he doesn't say being a good servant of Jesus means having been nourished by the word, the doctrine. That, no, it says being nourished continuously, continually, continu nonstop. <laughs> it's a continuous ongoing activity. The disciple of Jesus, no matter who you are, no matter how mature you are, no matter how knowledgeable you are, no matter how much theology that you know, how, much, how many Bible verses you have memorized, how much Greek and Hebrew you know, you must continually, through the course of this, your entire life in this world, continually be nourished on the Word of God to grow in godliness, to grow in Christ. 
That's what Paul means here by words of the faith and the doctrine you have followed. He means the word of God. Contrary to popular opinion, even as the New Testament scriptures were being written, the early church was a church feeding on the word of God. Every Lord's Day, as they gathered, the church read from what's called the Septuagint. It's the Greek translation of the Old Testament. Every single time in the sermons in Acts where we follow the apostles as they're ministering, all of the sermons, we went through the book of Acts before we went through Galatians, and all of those sermons, what were they doing? They were expounding the Old Testament. Old Testament passages were quoted all through the sermons in Acts. And as the Holy Spirit inspired the apostles to write, their writings were also read in the churches as Scripture. This is clear even from the writings themselves, from the Scripture itself. Peter considered Paul's writings Scripture. It says so in 2 Peter chapter 3, verses 15 and 16. Peter says, And count the patience of our Lord as salvation, just as our beloved brother Paul also wrote to you according to the wisdom given him, as he does in all his letters when he speaks in them of these matters. There are some things in them that are hard to understand, which the ignorant and unstable twist to their own destruction. Look at it as they do the other scriptures. Peter considered Paul's writings to be scripture. And in the letter that we're reading today, 1 Timothy Paul says, let the elders who rule well consider worth, be considered worthy of double honor, especially those who labor in preaching and teaching. For the scripture says, and then he says, you shall not muzzle an ox when it treads out the grain. That's a quote from Deuteronomy 25.4. But then he says, the laborer deserves his wages. That's a quote from the gospel of Luke. Luke chapter 10, verse 7. Paul saw Luke's writings as scripture. So when Paul says, Timothy... Be a good servant being trained, being nourished in the words of the faith and the good doctrine that you have followed. He means the gospel message from the apostles of Jesus and the Christ-centered message of the Old Testament scriptures. Faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. You with me? Okay. A couple of you are. Good. So growth in Christ Growing as a disciple of Jesus, growing in holiness, growing in godliness, it requires that we nourish ourselves on the word of God. Make sure that you hear rightly what I am saying here. Because so often we read our Bibles just to learn things, like an academic exercise. I want to know how long Samson's hair was or how many nails are in the ark. It's, it's, it's especially those who teach God's word. Do you know, some of you may be thinking, well, that's easy for you to say, Jason. It's your job. Your job basically is to spend 25, 30 hours a week studying God's word. You know who the worst people on the planet about nourishing themselves in the word of God are? Preachers. Preachers are the worst. The worst. You know why? Because so often we think, if I spend 30 hours a week studying to give you a lesson, that's, that equals time, me nourishing myself in the Word. No, it doesn't. No, it does not. Preachers are the worst about developing lessons and sermons to feed others and studying theology and learning all these things, but never nourishing themselves in the Word. Just spending time with God, reading prayerfully so that God would speak to me, that God would speak to me about my own life and my own heart and my own walk and my own faithfulness and my own relationship with Him. Everybody, doesn't matter, from the pulpit all the way to the back door, we have to be nourished in the Word of God. 
meeting God there, having God speak to me, having God speak to you about your life and your circumstances, grabbing hold of these promises that we know already because we've read them so many times, but when God speaks them into us as we read his word and we're going through this situation, he, we claim that promise and grab hold of it as the Holy Spirit applies it to my life and what I'm going through. It's being nourished by the word as we meet God there, for there is where he speaks. It's reading prayerfully so that he speak to my own soul, nourish my own heart. The word is food for a disciple. You cannot live faithfully without this nourishment. Now, some may disagree with that, and I can't prove it, and you can't disprove it, so it doesn't matter, but I'm not going to be the sheriff and go and pick apart everybody's life. All I can tell you about is me, but I guarantee you, I don't care who we're talking about, whether we're talking about me or some, you know, the most spiritual person that you know or, or whoever, it doesn't matter who we're talking about. If you are not nourishing yourself in the Word every day, on a daily basis, on a consistent basis, let's put it that way, if you're not nourishing yourself in the Word, I can promise you in the, in the dark of your bedroom at night when all, you're all by yourself and you pull those covers up around your neck and it's only you and God, you know you're not living faithfully. Not if you're not nourishing yourself on the Word. And you say, I'm going to try harder. You can't. You have no nourishment. If you're going to train, you have to have nourishment. You can't grow as a disciple without it. Paul says the good servant of Christ is one who is continually nourishing himself on the word of God and the gospel of Jesus Christ. The next point that he makes in this text is one that's really been formative for my own life. And I'm not... I'm not the guy who saw this for the first time. This was taught to me in this scripture. He says, have nothing to do with irreverent, silly myths. Rather, train yourself for godliness. For while bodily training is of some value, godliness is of value in every way, as it holds promise for the present life and also for the life to come. This saying is trustworthy and deserving of full acceptance. He said, avoid all of those silly myths and instead do this. Train yourself discipline yourself. Now, this word does mean train. It's the word where we get our word gymnasium from. From verses 1 through 5, we know that Timothy was facing these teachers that were adding law to the gospel. Don't eat that kind of food. You're not supposed to be married. They were facing the same kind of people we talked about in Galatians, adding law. But he was also facing what's called Gnostics. And they were saying, There's a higher level of spirituality out there, a higher level that you can reach with God. That's what he means when he said they were following deceitful spirits. There's a greater level with God if you could just learn the secret knowledge that nobody else knows or not many people know. And and we have the same thing today. I mean, day after day, books, teachings, teachers come out offering this hidden secret to the joyful Christian life, the faithful Christian life. There's another level to reach out there. If somebody would just show you the way, you would be able to reach this level with God. And to be honest, that draws a lot of people. Because let's face it, if you've been born again and the Holy Spirit dwells in you, our hearts long to be holy. 
Our hearts desire to live godly lives. They desire to follow Christ. They desire to be faithful. We want the joy of growing in Christ and walking faithfully with the Lord. And we constantly hear people talk about this this joy and the glories of walking in faithfulness and godliness. It's in every book we read. It's in every song we hear on the radio. It's in every inspirational meme we see on Facebook. But it seems so elusive. It seems so elusive in my own life. In fact, it seems like we're diminishing in our zeal, our passion, our striving for Christ. Because the harder I try to live faithfully and to live in godliness, the more impossible it seems. Now, we won't ever say that. We're not supposed to. We're in church. But it's there. The Christian life is hard, but all these songs on the radio make it sound so easy. So what we think is, I must be missing something. I must not have the right principles in place. I'm not jumping through the right hoops. You know, I want to live in holiness. I want to walk with God. I want a deeper relationship with Him. But no matter how hard I try, I fail. It seems like God wants something from me to unlock the secret to all this, but he won't tell me what it is. So it's easy for us to give ear to people saying, yes, yes, you are missing something and I have the secret. I can show you how to unlock the next level with God. Paul tells Timothy, stay away from those silly myths. Stay away from those irreverent things. Silly myths is technically old wives' tales. Stay away from that stuff. Stay away from those who say, we have what you've been missing. We have the secret that the early church has left behind or that the modern church has left behind. Second Peter 1 says, God has granted to us all things that pertain to life and godliness. All things. There is no missing piece. It's the gospel of Jesus Christ. But then in 2 Peter, he says, because he has granted us all things that pertain to life and godliness, make every effort now to add to your faith, virtue, knowledge, self-control, steadfastness, and godliness. That is what Paul is saying to Timothy here. You have the word. You are complete in Christ. You have the gospel. Here is what you do. Stay away from all that foolishness and train yourself in godliness. Have nothing to do with irreverent silly myths. Rather, train yourself in godliness. For while bodily training is of some value, godliness is of value in every way as it holds promise for the present life, also for the life to come. Paul compares this training for godliness or training in godliness to the training of bodily exercise. He says training for godliness is just like bodily training, only it's way more important. And the ramifications are way more important. So listen, there's no secret key that's hidden. And you can't grow in godliness just by trying harder. We have to train for godliness, not try. That's what growing in godliness and why growing in godliness just seems so impossible to us. Because we try real hard. I'm trying really, really hard. And when I fail, I think the answer is just, well, I need to just try harder. I need to try harder now. I need to do better. I need to be more committed. I need to be more devoted. I need to try much more. I'm trying to think of another word, but harder is all I got. 
This time, I really mean it. How many of us have said that? This time, God, I really, 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 really mean it. This time, I'm, I'm re-devoting myself, rededicating myself to you, and I'm going to change my life. And no matter how hard you try, you know the result, don't you? What happens is when we, we just try hard, we quickly realize just how weak we are. We're fallible, we're fleshly, we're prone to temptation. We fail over and over and over again because we're just trying hard. We're not training. If you want to run a marathon, you can't just get out there on race day and say, you know what, I'm just going to try really hard. No, you're going to run till your body gives out and you're going to die. We know that intuitively. If you want to run a marathon, you go train. You go train for it. You, you discipline yourself, setting time aside every single day to exercise and slowly prepare your body to be able to run that race to the end. And when we, when we go and we train for a marathon, like I'm not doing that, but you know, some people do. When we do that, we know going in, you know going in, this is not going to happen overnight. You know going in, this is going to take consistency. You know it's going to take time to incrementally grow stronger and faster, able to run longer distances. If your goal is to run the marathon all the way to the end, you know you can't do it unless you train for it. Growing in Christ, growing in godliness, being sanctified is what we're talking about. To walk faithfully in Christ is no different. There is no magic key. There's no long lost secret that the church has been missing for 2,000 years. You have everything that you need that pertains to life and godliness in 2 Peter, it says. But this life of following Christ is a life of exercising, a life of training and that is where worship, connect, and serve comes in. These are three categories of what that training looks like. And we didn't just pull that out of thin air to be a cute vision statement here at First Baptist Church. We get it from Acts chapter 2, verses 42 through 47. That's how the brand new church at Pentecost made disciples. In a single day, in the coming of the Holy Spirit, in the church in Jerusalem, 3,000 people were saved. And then a few days later, 2,000 more were saved. There's 5,000 new believers in this tiny little church in Jerusalem. How did they disciple those people? It shows us in Acts chapter 2. And that's what we're going to be walking through. Prayer, study God's word, singing, fellowship, serving one another, investing in one another, meditating on the scripture, memorizing scripture, all, all of the things. That's how they made disciples. Acts chapter 2, verse 42 through 47. Training for godliness is exercising the things God uses to sanctify us day in and day out. And just like exercise, it's hard to be consistent. And the results don't always seem as immediate as we'd hope. My family's gone to Tennessee this weekend. Dana and Sophie are gone, so I'm just home with the dogs. And 
Thursday night, they left Thursday, and I'm home, and I'm home alone, and there's nothing to do, and I'm just sitting there, and I thought, I'll have a snack. And I sat there in one sitting within 15 minutes and ate a half gallon ice cream. I don't care. Don't judge me. It was good. But, you know, I've been, you know, I've been trying to lose weight and been trying to be healthy and stuff. So I knew, okay, that's not good. Don't eat a half gallon ice cream. So the next day, Friday, I said, okay, well, I need to go to the gym. And I worked out for two hours at the gym. I mean, just intense workout, thinking I'm going to offset this. And I was shocked today when I got up and I gained three pounds. That's not how that's supposed to work. I worked out hard. I should be able to eat half a gallon ice cream. But we know that's not how it works. You can't go to the gym for two hours one day in a week and think that that's going to have some results when you're chunking on half a gallon ice cream two nights before. You need to be consistent every single day. You need to make it a, a discipline. You need to make it a habit. You need to train yourself. That's how it works. It takes perseverance. It takes effort to persevere with God in prayer, in the word, in his service. We, we sit down on one night a week just when, just when the thought hits us and we say, I'm going to read the Bible for two hours. And we think, well, that's good. And then we don't do it again for two or three weeks. And we think, well, what's wrong? I read, no, it's consistency, training yourself, disciplining yourself, listening and hearing from God every single day. Even if it's just a small section in the scripture every single day, even if it's just a small time of prayer every single day, it is exercising the things that God uses to sanctify you. Paul is clear to Timothy here. Timothy, do you want godliness? You want to grow as a disciple? He says, stay away from all those silly myths and all that ice cream, I mean, all that, all that stuff. And start training the same way you would train your body. He compares it to bodily exercise day in, day out. Depending on the Lord, feeding on his word, resting in his presence in prayer, growing together with the body of Christ. It's training bit by bit, inch by inch, day in, day out. I don't care who you are. I don't care what your service is or to Christ or your, your maturity level in Christ. I don't care how much scripture you have memorized or theology that you know or what you're able to teach or not. I don't care who you are. No one grows without it. No one. This training for godliness is what we're going to be talking about all through the month of September. It's what, what this training looks like. Worshiping, connecting, serving. There's other things that fit in those categories. Worshiping with the body of Christ, of course, corporate worship, but also private worship. Your daily time with God in the word, in prayer, in, in those spiritual times of you know, meditation, those kind of things with God, that time of worship. Connecting and discipling relationships. We need one another to grow in Christ. You can't grow all by yourself in isolation. I'm sorry, that's not biblical. And it's not just, hey, let's get together and go to lunch. Let's get together and have a potluck, although I do love potlucks. It's in being in discipling relationships. You help me follow Jesus, and I will help you follow Jesus, and we do it together. 
And then serving, of course, serving the body of Christ, serving one another, but also serving Christ in the world by evangelizing and, and spreading the gospel message and, and all of those things, worshiping, connecting, serving, are categories that all this stuff fits in. And we get that from Acts chapter 2. But before we get into all of that, which we're going to be talking about through the month of September, we can't forget the foundation on which all this is built. All this talk about training and working and striving and toiling, it may sound a lot like I'm throwing grace under the bus right after we got done with the book of Galatians. But remember, don't mix the categories. Training for godliness is striving. It is toil, but it's striving because our hope lies in the living God who saves. He says, for this end, we toil and strive. Because we have our hope, not in our discipline, not in our training, not in our toiling and striving. We have our hope set on the living God who is the Savior of all people, especially those who believe. He goes back to the gospel by faith alone. For this end, we toil and strive, we train, we discipline ourselves. And Paul makes no bones about the fact that it is toil. The word strive is where we get our word agonize from. It doesn't come easy. But the end we strive for, which is godliness, is because, look at it, because our hope is in the living God who is the one who saves completely and totally. Our hope doesn't lie in our toil or our striving or how well we're training. Our hope doesn't lie in how well we're doing in this training or how good we're laboring in our training or how consistent we're training. Our hope doesn't lie in any of that. If it did, we would all be lost. We train, we toil, we strive because we have put all of our hope in God who is the Savior. Paul ties all this training, all this talk about training for godliness to the saving gospel of Jesus Christ by grace through faith. We're not striving and toiling, church, to move past the gospel as if the gospel were just, well, this is the first step. Now you need to go deeper. You need to go into the next level of spirituality. If you think that way, you have cut your hamstring before you even lined up for the race. Paul says we strive and train and we grow because of the gospel, because our hope is in the God who saves. To put it in theological terms, our sanctification, growing in our walk with Christ, depends on us resting in our justification. Okay, maybe that wasn't as good as I thought it was. When we talk about training for God in this, we aren't saying we work to go deeper than the gospel. No, we train becoming more deeply rooted in the gospel. The training we're talking about, prayer and the word and fellowship and the body of Christ, discipling one another, all these are things that force us to drill down deeper into the reality of the gospel and the salvation that we've been given. The training that we do day in, day out, we're, we're training our spiritual muscles, so to speak, to more deeply set our hope on the God who saves. It's training ourselves to turn our hearts deeper into an understanding of who Christ is and what Christ has done for us. To revel more deeply in who we are in him, where our acceptance is found. It's the gospel alone. Where our righteousness is found, it's the gospel alone. Growing in Christ is training. It's not trying hard. 
But it's training ourselves to walk in the victory that we already have been given. All our hope is in Him. All our hope is in the Savior. Our hope is not in our striving. It's in the Savior. So Paul's point in this section of 1 Timothy is simply this. Train yourselves for godliness. Don't try hard. Train yourself for godliness. Day in, day out. Inch by inch. Minute by minute. Section by section. Because your hope has been set on the living God who saves. This is something the whole church needs to hear. If you were to go and look at verse 11 down in your Bible, the very next thing Paul says to Timothy is command and teach these things. Tell them, tell them these things. So do you want to grow in Christ? That's really the question, isn't it? Do you want to walk worthy of the calling to which Christ has called you? Do you want to live faithfully to his word? Listen, if you don't, if you have no desire to live for Christ, to follow Christ, to obey Christ, to walk with Christ, strive together with the body of Christ, everything's just cool with you, whatever, you're lost. Okay, and when you stand before God and you say, look at all the good stuff that I've done, he's going to say, depart from me, you worker of iniquity, for I never knew you. God specifically tells us in his word what he does in the heart of those that he saves in the new covenant. He says in Exodus 36, 26, in the new covenant, he said, I will put my spirit in you and I will cause you to keep my commandments. I will cause you to walk in my statutes. Either God's a liar or you're a lost person. So if that's you, repent of your sin for sure. But repent of your dead works that can't make you right with God. Repent of your striving to earn acceptance before God and put your trust in Jesus. He is the only one that can save his burial, his death, his resurrection. He is the only one that can change your heart on the inside. Working and doing and putting stuff on the outside is not going to change your heart. We need a heart change and only Jesus can do that. Trust in him. Entrust your life to him. Call upon Him for your salvation and your righteousness. Entrust yourself to Him until you're filled with the Spirit and your heart is changed by the forgiveness of your sin. All the training in the world is not going to help you. It doesn't do anything but compound your sin. Turn to the Savior, the only Savior. Savior. And believer, listen, if, there, if today you have been born again and you are a new creature and you, you are trusting in Christ alone and your heart desires to walk after him and, and you desire more than anything just to live holy before the Lord, but you find yourself just stumbling and stuttering all the time, you know, failing to see any of the growth and the joy and all the things that, that you hear on, on, in the songs and all the stuff, you need to understand there is no secret key there is no magic bullet. There is no long lost secret teaching or spiritual principle that the church is waiting for to be revealed. You have all that you need that pertains to life and godliness. And you need to come to grips with the fact also that by your own strength, your own will, your own determination, you can't do it. So when you say, well, I'm really going to try this time, I'm going to, good luck. We all know how that works. None of us can do that. None of us. You're never going to do it by just trying harder. When it comes to growing in Christ, 
You can't make up your mind to try harder any more than you can make up your mind to run a marathon by trying harder. You have to train for it. Discipline yourself for the purpose of godliness, inch by inch, day by day, feeding on the word, depending upon the spirit, resting in God's presence in prayer. Exercise your salvation, Paul says in Philippians chapter 2. Why? Because it's God who works in you to will and to do according to his good pleasure. Starting September 10th, we're going to take all these categories apart. Worship, connect, serve. We're going to talk about how we train, how we do these things. But you need to understand this is a life of discipline, a life of training, a life of exercising. So expect it to take your lifetime. Expect it to not be immediate and all of a sudden all your problems are gone and all your, all your temptations are gone and all... No, it's a life of training in godliness. Inch by inch. Moment by moment. Section by section. Day by day. It's a life of training. If that's what you're doing, if you're feeding on God's word, if you're resting in the things that God uses to sanctify us, his word and prayer, spiritual disciplines, the church, the body of believers, all of those things, that's what you're called to be doing. If that's what you're doing, I promise you, other people will see growth in you before you'll see it in yourself. That is how God grows his people. Don't destroy yourself because you can't try hard enough. That person that you're looking at across the other side of the sanctuary, they can't do it either. But they look like they have got, I don't care what they look like. They can't do it either, and I can't do it either. We have to trust in the gospel alone as our righteousness and then discipline ourselves, train ourselves for godliness because God is working in us through those things. We're going to talk about all of these things in the coming month, but today we just need to decide. We just need to decide. Are you willing to stop trying and start training? Are you willing to actually follow Jesus in the everyday, day-to-day, mundane things that he's called us to do. To spend time in his presence, in his word, in prayer, with his people. And train yourself for godliness. Are you willing? We're going to talk about how we do that. But today you have to answer that question, are you willing? Let's pray. Father, we do love you. We thank you for your word. God, I don't know if I've been very clear, but I I thank you for your word, and I know that it doesn't return void. So I pray that you use this word to shape and mold our hearts, because we, God, we're all fallible, all of us. We're all frail. We're all weak. We, none of us possess the strength to do or live how you've called us to live. God, the only reason we even are in relationship with you is because of your finished work in the gospel of Jesus Christ, and we cling to that with all that we are, knowing that we have nothing else other than that. God, help us, to, help us to train ourselves for godliness. Help us to exercise the things that you have given us, your very presence in your word, in your, in your people, in, in prayer, the things that you have given us, God, to meet with you, to commune with you, to draw strength from you, to be sanctified, to grow in holiness, to grow in godliness. Thank you for, thank you for your gift to us. God, help us to feed upon your word. Help us to train ourselves for godliness, knowing that you are working in us. God, if there's anyone here that doesn't know you, that hasn't trusted in you, God, I I just pray that you would call them to yourself, that you show them the cross, show them 
the sacrifice that you've given in Jesus that we might be saved, that we might be united with him so that our sin is taken upon him on the tree and that his righteousness is imputed to our life so that you see us as righteous even though in our walk we are not righteous. God, what a gift that we have in the gospel. God, I pray that you would help us to not take it for granted, to not take it lightly. And because we have this hope that surpasses all hope, God, help us to train ourselves to God, for godliness. We thank you. We love you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. As always, I'm going to stand right down here at the front. If you want to come, and I'd love to pray with you. I'd love to speak with you. Please come. Will you stand with me?